Welcome back to Stories with My Muslim Mom. I'm your host, Ali Sultan, and with me, the very beautiful... Mona Jamsar. The very beautiful... Basma Mahdi. And the very beautiful... <laughs> Walid Mahdi. Walid Mahdi. Yeah. Walid Mahdi. <laughs> Why are you looking Welcome at me back. then? <laughs> um, last time we did part one uh, of an episode with uh, Walid Mahdi, a.k.a. my brother-in-law. <laughs> and we talked about uh, Arab American and uh, Americans in film. And uh, we meant to kind of discuss kind of like the origin of your story, how you made it um, uh, from Yemen um, to America. Uh, so we're going to have a little more of a personal episode. Uh, and uh, we had a, um, a lovely surprise by your wife, a.k.a. my sister, Besma, who has <laughs> never been on a podcast, but you, you made a phone call once. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what the phone call was about. but It was about... Kidnapping. Oh, kidnapping. Kid- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just typical family stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thank you so much for being here. Uh, uh, we, we can You can join in uh, and ask uh, Walid some questions. You might learn something about him that you did not know before. This yeah. is going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. You ready? Man yes. of the hour? Yeah. Question number one. What is your social security? <laughs> <laughs> so what so year did you um, uh, not move here? What, what year did you plant the idea of, I want to go to America? Oh, that's a good question. Actually, it was uh, 1997, I think. That's the, the year when I finished my high school and started thinking seriously about college. Mm-hmm. And one of the main majors I wanted to do was uh, uh, American studies. The only thing is I never got the chance to do, there, there was no American studies in Yemen. Okay. So I decided to start with English, basically. Okay. And that's what I did. I and you were like 17, 18 at that age? Yeah, it's like, you know, so high school. 17, 18 from a small town of Taz, I want to yeah. say, right? Uh, Taz, I've never Taz, been to Taz. Taz is a big town, actually, you know. <laughs> for, for Yemen. It's very populated, you know, and... Um, yeah, it's probably small compared to Sana'a, the main capital. Yeah. What's the population of Taz at the it's, time? Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe in the millions for sure. Really? It's, it's a a the most people. populous city mm. in Yemen. It's a big city. I've never been. Yeah. Um, so you're there. You somehow, probably from movies and whatnot, we mm-hmm. talked about it last mm-hmm. time, you, you've, you, you've had some interest about America and you decided to study that matter. And then so the next conclusion was, I have to go to to the source. Yeah. So basically, well, I read a book when I was in high school called The Clash of Civilizations. And basically by an American uh, professor, his name is uh, Samuel Huntington. Okay. And he proposed a very, very troubling theory. And that is uh, post-1990, he theorized that the world is bound to clash. And that clash is happening along civilizational lines. And he somehow predicted a clash between the West and the world of Islam. It was very troubling theory because it uh, saw the world clashing through religious lines, mm-hmm. and and some but somehow it made me curious to learn more about America to see to what extent this theory somehow keep, keep the enemy closer. Is what you're <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> to understand the enemy, <laughs> it's just to make sense of whether this theory makes sense because wow. I, I didn't want to think of this world in that in those lines in the yeah. lines he proposed. Mm-hmm. I somehow rejected his premise. Mm. I, I didn't believe that the world is bound to clash along civilization. And lines, I bet basically. part of you wanted to be part of the other world, right? Yes, I wanted to be part of the 
globe that somehow <laughs> saw the world in different ways, in different lenses, basically. That's a, you're very sophisticated 17, 18-year-old. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I was thinking about at the age of 17. <laughs> well, I had my fair share of yeah. play as well. I, don't, I remember being in, in the Taco Bell drive-thru, uh, <laughs> theorizing about the clashes of the world. Right. You, uh, cool. you did your high school here, so. Yeah, uh, mom, you looked like you had a question for me. I was going to ask him, how, what makes you interested in American study? He already... Mentioned that Here that answer. Do you have yeah. any questions uh, um, about um, uh, his move to America yeah, yeah. or his uh, upbringing? I, yeah, I remember specific? last time I, I, I asked you a question about your childhood. I would mm -hmm. like to hear about that. Yeah, like in uh, just to just inspire, to, you know, people. Like the story itself of how I came here or my childhood? Like yeah, yeah. No, I would like pre to. Pre-clash of civilizations world. <laughs> no, uh, your childhood, uh, the way you think, uh, what was your dream, something like that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's talk about ambition. So that's, so the, the, the motivation is you wanted to learn about the specific matter. And yes. To see about this theory that you rejected. But what's the ambition uh, that keeps you moving? Yeah, yeah, so basically, I mean, I, rem I just grew up like every uh, other kid growing up in Yemen, basically, in a, in a, in a big family. In my case, it was a big family. How many siblings did we say last time? I had 16. Well, <laughs> 16. Well, it's 15, including me, so that's 16, basically. Best mouth, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you can Did say you tell them originally how many brothers and sisters? So originally, my, my mom had 25 pregnancies, basically. My God. Yeah, so... Not, not not many of them survived, but wow. those who, survived, who did were 15. Yeah. And I stopped counting. Wow. <laughs> that, wow, that's a lot. No, we all stopped counting at that. That's a lot of kids. Yes. So I grew up in a big family, actually. Mm -hmm. and my mom and dad were illiterate. That's the interesting part. Wow. Yes. And somehow you're, you came out very sophisticated. And not, not only me, you know, they invested in our education. In my education, my sisters, we, I have 10 sisters. I have 10 sisters and uh, uh, five brothers. And we, my family invested in our education. And mm -hmm. chose education to be the path to put us through. And um, many of my kids, uh, my, my brothers and sisters and my kids, <laughs> uh, grew up to, to, to finish their, their college, you know. Let me ask you a question. So you're, you're, you have a illiterate parents, right? But somehow they saw kind of like the uh, importance of education. What, what inspired yes. that in them? Because they don't come from that. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question because his brother, which is basically had a similar number of kids mm -hmm. to my to my father, right? But uh, his brother, my father's brother, decided to go the other route, is to encourage his kids to go out and work and get money and bring money. And, and education became less and less an interesting uh, ma matter to them, right? Mm -hmm. So for my family, I think probably the realization that we are in a moving world, mm -hmm. in a changing world that in which education seems to be the best way forward, right? So the realization that we couldn't make it somehow we, and we want our kids to, mm -hmm. you know. I, got, I have two questions for us. Yes, Question number yeah. one is who succeeded between your, your, your dad and his <laughs> brother? Who's, who's got the more successful kids? <laughs> Well, it depends on by how you define success, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> so if success is by attaining education, for example, uh -huh. I think succeed. we had the, the upper hand. What about money? <laughs> Money-wise, actually, it depends also on who, because it's individuals at the end of the day. Some gotcha. individuals made it, some individuals are struggling until until. I mean, they are your, uh, your cousins. Yeah. 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 
I mean, many ways. Really, well, really, it, not all mm. of them made oh, it somehow, okay. right? It's individual. Some of them made it through travel mm. and working in Saudi Arabia, for example. But some of them retained from returned from Saudi Arabia and started working in Yemen. I mean, let's say I'm the only one from the family yeah. to come to the U.S. this far to the United yeah. States. Mm. Yeah, that's know, great. You know. So w your father seems like, uh, though we might not have been educated in the way you have, he seems to have. You know, he looks like a, from what I'm hearing, like someone who's, you know, has a little wisdom, a little more progressive for someone given his lack of education. Would that be true? Yeah, yeah. Especially that he comes from a ruler background. And uh, I think the realization that uh, in, the, in the early 80s that somehow the country is changing and education seems to be... You know, the Where future, the currency of the future somehow. And all your 10 of your sisters were provided yes, the same, uh, yes. um, which is great because in Yemen, sometimes they, they, they bank on the, the boys and neglect yes. the, the girls. Actually, all the girls finished their, their wow. college and two of them did even their master's degree, you know. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's and it feels good. like they specialize in every major out there. She's, uh, your parent, yeah, your parents are progressive. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. That's really interesting. for your parents. Yes, so I think I wouldn't be here. I mean, my childhood somehow was shaped then by my father's and my mother's wow. commitment not to see us live through their lives, in a sense. Interesting. You know? That's great. Um, do you have any other questions, Mom? Mm. How about the wife? Do you have any questions? Um, Basma? <clears throat> what's interesting, what I know, that he had a rebellious stage. Oh yeah, you told dad? me about this one. Did you? Okay. That made me yeah, laugh a lot because I didn't yeah. guess that from you. You had a, but your idea of rebelling was yeah. like you played video games, <laughs> right? You went and skipped school and you played video yeah, games. Yeah, some, sometimes you know, in middle school. This is middle school is always the transformative stage. In middle school, everybody life. rebels. Yes, right. For sure. For for me, it was it was a rebellion sense uh, against uh, everything I knew as against the normative mm -hmm. years they grew up in. And basically, I, I was trying to um, find my own voice mm. in, in, a fa in a big family that doesn't seem to uh, seem to be basically. Why well, she mentioned something and you said, "Don't <laughs> talk about that." No, it's a, it's a story, basically. Oh, oh I want to hear this yeah. story. This sounds like a fun one. Don't be uncomfortable. It's not fun. It's okay. We, we can edit this out. Like. No, it's okay. I don't mind telling it. You know, <laughs> tell it's us, basically tell us. one of those days when. And actually, I, th I think it's it's a decision that my dad took. Without it, I, I would have not somehow also succeeded. You know, it's, mm. it's it's tied to my success in a sense. That's fine. So basically, yeah, basically what it ha what happened is I one day decided not to go back home at all. I you, just I just skipped. I just didn't go return to my family. And mm. I what age to, is this? It was uh, um, fourteen, wow. or fifteen, I think, oh, wow. something like that. And uh, basically, as if I was finishing my middle school, mm -hmm. and I just I was done with the curfews that my family imposed on me, and mm -hmm. uh, and all the restrictions: don't do this, don't travel, don't you know? There were a lot sharing, of limitations. Sharing a bathroom with fourteen other siblings <laughs> too much. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's less. I mean, I was I actually I had a lot of um, uh, I was pampered in a sense, right? Because I I was. Uh, I mean, I, when I when when I was born, I came after five girls, mm -hmm. and that was somehow cause for celebration because I was a boy, you yeah, know. Yeah. So that somehow uh, made my family uh, treat me in a special way, right? Mm -hmm. And but that was sometimes uh, over the top, right? To gotcha. a point where I felt like my freedom was being restricted. Mm. So you felt I, like I, you were coddled. Yeah, cuddled, restricted, denied. Uh, 
doing things that I wanted to do, mm -hmm. exploring my, you know, my world, you know, traveling, for example. I was, I was not allowed to do a lot of things. Okay. And so I, well, my rebellion was basically uh, to, to not go back home. And after a few weeks. Wow, you gone for two weeks? Yes. Where are you a living? A few weeks, actually. Where were you It wasn't even two weeks. <laughs> Where are you? I, I just decided to join some of my friends who had a, a place to live in. And I just hang, hang out with them and decided to hang out with them and uh -huh. live with them and all that. And one day, my father, I spotted my father looking at that house when I was exiting. Mm -hmm. And somehow it felt like, uh, I don't know how he knew that I was there, but he was there, you know, and wow. he saw me and he ran after me, you know, oh. and he, he really restrained me with help of, <laughs> of neighbors. And wow. when we, we went home, he, he, even, he even chained me, you know, at wow. home, you know. He put wow. chains around me, wow. my wow. hands, you know. Now, now I can see the illiterate, <laughs> illiterate part. Uh, yes, it was, it was, yeah. it was popping. Well, he was doing it out of love for of course, yeah. saying yeah. that, you know, you have to. Sometimes you got to tie your kid with the chains. With you know? chains, right? Yeah. But I, the good thing is I knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in Yemen, for a, for a lit, uh, illiterate parent. That was pretty progressive. For that them. was, yeah. it's yeah. not about progressive. <laughs> it's about protection. Uh -huh. uh, really, because if we would not done it, it meant... Uh, I, that's what he knew. That's what he did. And how long were you shaved for? <laughs> for a, that, that's a good thing, you know, for me at least. Uh, mm. It gave me a, a, probably a half an hour to think out uh, where I used to hide my soul because I used to have my own soul because I used to do some carpentry work in my house. And I basically went to that place where I hid my soul and I broke my own chain and, oh, wow. and I just <laughs> escaped again. Again, he went out. So how long? The, this time for a month or so, and wow. then yeah, you're, and then, you're trouble, man. Stubborn. Yes, <laughs> fifteen year old, you're going out for like a month and a half. And then I only came back to the, agreed to came back to the house uh, after uh, them agreeing to my terms, basically. Wow. So, so this is like a Simba moment. <laughs> Lion King. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And the term was basically giving you space. You metaphorically <laughs> and physically broke the chains. Huh? I think so, right? If you think about it that way. You should write a book called Breaking the Chains. <laughs> I'm actually thinking of writing an autobiography at some point. Yeah, you know, yeah. Later. Uh, later on. Maybe yeah, 20 years from now or so. Interesting uh, story. And, and so basically what happened after this is I... Ended up, uh, they ended up agreeing to my terms that I'll be able to come back to the house whenever I want. You mm. know, I'm not, there's no curfew, you know, hour So that was your me. big thing, curfews you didn't like. Uh, not only that, but also if I wish to travel with my friends, then they will allow me to do that. Mm. Then then I would I would want to do, if I want to do anything, then they will let me do whatever I want, basically. Wow. If I want to. And they agree to that. If I develop a hobby, if I, you know, do anything, whether it's. Good or bad, you know, basically, and and they did it out of uh, uh, what I realized now was a wise move on their part, right? I mean, they tried the chain; the chain didn't work. They and, tried force, and, and then now they're like, yes. So they tried to use the progressive card now, mm. and by by agreeing to all my demands, and and since then, that was that transformed my life, really, you know, because I, I think. If should have they should have they only resorted to violence and force, mm -hmm. maybe I would be in a different. I would yeah. have a different history, a yeah, future. Psychologically, right? you know that you, by the uh, by you try to fight for your freedom, and then you were met by by force, and then it makes you believe that you can't be free. But then by the fact that you won, mm -hmm. and on on your own terms. It gives you like opens up your mind to for possibilities. Yeah, it just created a space for me to be myself, right? Yeah. And to That's do whatever great. I want. And I really loved education and I loved reading and I loved, you know, 
And I exceeded, uh, and excelled in my work in school. I became the first, mm. the top scoring student in my high school. And, you know, I started then rolling in the way, in the direction I want. I even when I came to finishing high school, for example, mm-hmm. I had two options to either teach. There was a mandatory teaching service. If you're an excellent student in high school, you get the option to either teach or to go to military. Mm-hmm. Which was a there was a military mandate, With mandatory that? service. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's in Yemen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody gets mandated. It used to be mandated to to go to service unless you're an exceptional student. You teach, right? But I chose military service. And even was, though, uh, even yes. though you have the you know, choice you know, you to not military <laughs> vibes, man. I'm learning a lot. You're ah. a carpenter, <laughs> soldier. No, no, I know he was spoiled. I was spoiled. I think I was spoiled everywhere I go. My family, military. They hooked you up in the military? In in, in a sense, what I liked about military is it it taught me a lot of things, you know. And I started, it didn't take me long before uh, the nerd in me somehow also started compiling uh, information about weaponry, about exercises, oh about God. military tactics. about, And I started teaching, okay. actually. Oh, wow. Let's not say this on record. Soldiers Let's that not talk <laughs> You learning about Yemeni military tactics and uh, weapons. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably 19, early 1900s uh-huh. sort of oh, yeah, yeah. You know, tactics. <laughs> People stopped using those. Uh, there's like the cannons. Before with World War the, the cannons with the big ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We never tested. We never used weapons. Though, oh, wow. Right? It was just and mostly... Yes. It's just kind of like boot camp, basically. Because we were students. We were, we were not soldiers, right? We were not soldiers. We were student mm-hmm. student recruits. Mm-hmm. So and and we, you were in boot camp for a year, basically. Yes. It was yeah. like more, for two years, it ended up to be two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and for me, it was a life-defining moment as well. Wow. What did you yeah. learn? Like um, Discipline, mm-hmm. definitely. And uh, t- t- patience. It taught me uh, how to connect with people, socialize with people. Mm-hmm. Because these are the three main things I, I got out of How about family, military school. the value of family? I mean, family, I always love family, right? <laughs> I mean, you love them so much, we left for a month and a half. Huh? Uh-huh. And it was far away. <laughs> Did you miss your siblings when you left? I used to go back to visit, right? But it was oh. far at the end of, like, it was an area called Thamud. Mm. You know, you only hear of that name in the Quran, Legends, probably, right? Yeah. Legend, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dust came was out that in, in yeah, Mahwit or right? it's in the desert and Hadramaut is bordering Saudi Arabia, yeah. and, and it was just far away. We we used to fly actually. Wow. You know? We can't even go by bus, so it was far away. I was visit family for a, for every now and then though. Okay. So that's great. By the way, I want to address that uh, at one point. That Dan was going off. I don't want you guys to think this is some sort of like, you know, <laughs> in the background, we're trying to convert you guys. It's not a Sharia law. Podcast. Uh, sh- sh- not bringing Sharia law to your lives. It just, uh, the, every every Muslim phone has a, a Dan app and then it lets you know when oh, it's time to pray. So I don't know whose phone that was, but somebody yeah. phones. Is it yours? Can I tell you a funny story? One yeah. time I was doing, um, I was watching a comedy show. And um, the comedian, his style, he would just build up the joke for like two, three minutes. Mm. And then he'll have a mediocre punchline at the end. But he was a good storyteller. And then when he gets to the end, everybody laughs, right? So tension, 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 then release with one mediocre joke. And I was watching him, and then he was about to close. It was about, like, right to be done. He sets up a joke for five minutes. (laughs) It's quiet. Right before the punchline, everybody's phones lights up. (laughs) 
Oh, because it's a bunch of Muslim students. <laughs> Everybody's phone at then came up. Allah, <laughs> he got heckled by God. It was beautiful. <laughs> Just seen that. Um, uh, questions, mom, so far. Yeah, I wonder. The last you, last episode, uh, I did all the questions. So I wanna yeah. be fair to you. I wonder if you have if you ever visualize when when you are in Yemen, mm-hmm. where you at now. Or yeah, who, that's interesting. And any of your uh, life state? That's a very good question, in. actually. Use mm-hmm. positive imagery. So we're yeah, about. I mean, sometimes visualizing your future somehow dry, draws you closer to it, in a sense, right? I mean, I mean, I knew from from before I came here when I applied for Fulbright to come. Uh, uh, what? States. I applied for a Fulbright. What is that? It's a prestigious uh, you, uh, grant or fellowship oh, wow. that supports uh, education, basically. Mm-hmm. It's an exchange program that brings Americans to the world and brings the world to America, you know? Mm. In my case, it was to, it helped me finish my uh, master's degree. It supported so you, you my entire- So you came to America ed- on a scholarship? Yes, yes. That but scholarship made it possible for me to come. What is the odds of getting that scholarship? It was not easy at all. Fulbright is, is the most competitive- what are we talking about numbers-wise? If, let's say, a 1,000 applies, maybe five get it. Oh, wow. Um, so very, very competitive scholarship. Wow. Um, and you, you got it from the first time you applied? No, f- first time I didn't get it. I learned from my mistakes. Uh-huh. Second time I got it, I, I managed to get it. Right? That's, uh, that's so, another important lesson is <laughs> don't give up. But that tell me you always been uh, looking for opportunities. Yes, and that's the thing. You know, when I once I finished my bachelor's degree in in Yemen, I was hired there as an assistant. Uh, you know, as a graduate assistant mm-hmm. somehow. I worked there for two years, and I was I was dreaming of finishing my P, doing my master's and PhD elsewhere. Right, mm-hmm. since I was employed at the university, India somehow was the main attractive country to people like me at that time. Why? Because there was a trade agreement, there was an agreement between Yemen and India that would bring, um, you know, exceptional students uh, on scholarships to India hmm. to, to finish their PhD and come back and teach in Yemeni universities. In exchange right? for spices? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. <laughs> in exchange for what? In yeah. exchange for probably... It's, it's scholarships, right? Yeah. And did you, go, did you end up going to India at all? Well, let, let's tell you what's the exchange. The exchange that the, many of the Yemeni universities were dominated by Indian professors. Oh, wow. That's great. So maybe that's the exchange. Oh, <laughs> nice. Shout out to India. Yeah. So in my case, basically, I had a dream, but I didn't want to do American studies in India. So <laughs> That makes no sense, right? <laughs> right? So yeah. I ended up, some of my friends did, but right in my case, I ended up looking for opportunities and Fulbright was the main one yeah. and that allowed me to come here and and then I got a chance to get a MacArthur Foundation scholarship wow. which allowed me that to I know. do my and PhD. And you came to Minnesota right Minnesota away? Minnesota with the PhD. U of yeah. M or where? U of M, yeah. Oh, wow. Good Minnesota. for you, man. Yeah. So did you, when you came here, did it feel like, you know, the, what, what's your expectations are? Are you like excited in America? Yeah, I was excited to be admitted into the PhD program here mm-hmm. at the University of Minnesota, you know. I mean, I had three programs except admitting me. The one at the University of New Mexico, that's where I did my master's degree. Mm-hmm. The, uh, University of Iowa, and the University of Minnesota. Okay. And of the three programs, University of Minnesota d- flew me to to visit the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. and um, they tried to convince me to to join the program. Right? I, bet, I bet they flew you in the summer, not the winter, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> it was actually almost the end of the winter. You know, it's like yeah, January, yeah. February. Yeah. It's, not, no, it's never the end of winter. No one comes here in January right? and goes, yeah. you know what, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But actually, it was the best program for me because it was it's the, of the three programs, it was the highest ranking. Mm -hmm. And they were invested enough in my success that they were, you know, they offered me a full package, funding package mm -hmm. for many years. Wow. So I really didn't have to borrow money, you know. So I, I, I felt lucky enough to be able to. The theme to, continues. You're getting spoiled yeah. Yeah. By, yeah. by the system, by <laughs> yes. the military, yes. family. Yes. <laughs> the system you got always. You have some good luck on your side. That's good. I think and luck, by me? luck definitely helps. Yes. Was that? <laughs> and in Minnesota, I get to know Basma. I get yeah. to meet Basma. The, the ultimate spoil. Yes. That's that. Um, you get that's to meet great, you man. and Mona. And um, any other questions from the wife? <laughs> we took away my question. The last question? What was yeah. the last question? What was uh, your expectation? I mean, did you, did you, um, you, whatever you visualized about the U.S., did you get to see that or? Oh, yeah. Did, were you <laughs> surprised when yeah. you got to New Mexico? That, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like we, we, we you know, we talked about your yeah. earlier influences. You know, you had two types of influences mm -hmm. about America, right? Mm -hmm. You you saw, you read these books by many authors that gave you one image. And then you yes. also watch movies, which is a whole mm -hmm. polarized um, um, perception. So part of you is the answer you gave me was the like, you know, sophisticated journey that you took on but what, what about the hollywood version what yeah. did you want to see in america yeah i mean what I, I wanted to see i mean what i want to say I, I didn't have anything specific in mind i just wanted to learn right mm. but what i what is still something if, if i were to say that something guided my interest in learning yeah it would be basically to see whether america is set up to clash with mm. everybody else the way that person I mentioned earlier, Samuel Huntington prophesized, right? Yeah. And what's your conclusion so far? <laughs> I mean, there's no way that prophecy can, is right. Correct. In a sense. Yeah. Even though it looks like we live in a moment that is heavily uh, determined by a lot of populism. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of Islamophobia in this country, and there's a lot of anti-American sentiment in the Arab and Muslim world. But you can never really say for in a definitive way that America somehow is bound to clash with Islam and Muslims mm -hmm. because guess what? America's history is shaped by Islam and Muslims as much as also Muslim world is shaped by America, right? Right. And so, so there's no coherent, homogenized narrative that defines America or the Muslim world. Mm. These are societies that are defined in very different ways by different communities. And there's no one single narrative or image that defines these cultures, right? Makes sense. So we end up saying, uh, well, the point is basically is that my conclusion, at least, that we live in pl plural societies that in no way could be uh, pushed to, to adopt a certain, uh, you know, ideology. Right. That makes sense. Uh, what what uh, year did you come to America, by the way? Uh, it was 2007. Tw 2007? Oh, yeah, that's like, I just graduated high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 2007, and uh, when was the last time you went to Yemen? I did for two weeks, actually, only in 2013. You went to, in 2013, that's uh, like right after the uprise. After, yeah, after the Yemen uprising. interesting time in between like complete chaos and hope. Be before the chaos, really, you know. What was, uh, what was your uh, experience like in, in those two weeks in 2013? It was a very, very fast and quick, uh, I mean, Part of what my times I spent it in lecturing. I did three lectures in three different universities. Oh, you went as a business? So like. No, I, I went to see a family, right? But oh. I still wanted also you to share some of my success story 
with some students with the hope that... You wanted to expense a trip, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, <laughs> well, I was invited by oh, these yeah, universities. Nobody yeah. paid for it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's my personal... <laughs> 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 but uh, I felt like, I just felt like a part of the challenge that many young individuals have in Yemen is the lack of inf information. Mm. If they see someone who made it somehow, who knew the system, who knew how to so work So you talk it. about this uh, topic. So it was mostly about how to secure scholarships, That's how to travel to America, you, how you, to study. Basically, yeah, lack of information. I mean, they, lack of information equates to lack of possibility because they don't yes, know. How yes, to, opportunity is yeah. somehow tied to information. Information, access, absolutely. Right? That's, yeah. what, that's how rich people continue to get rich. And Yes, yeah. yes. So part of what I, my visit was that, and part of it was just seeing my huge... Family. How do you manage two weeks to see fifteen? Uh, I couldn't. Siblings? Uh, that's the thing, you know. It's Did you hard. You have to skip some siblings. <laughs> I mean, the hard. What made it harder in my case is, is that uh, during my visit, I every day, almost every day, uh, my parents would invite, invite friends, yeah, yeah. Open house. <laughs> and neighbors, and uh -huh. relatives to come and see me. To the point where I got overwhelmed to the point where I couldn't even sit with my own sisters and brothers mm. and yeah, have remember, quality I, time with them, right? I remember last time I was there, every, every day there was like the first two weeks especially, it's like <laughs> yeah. you have to go have lunch here, have lunch there, meet new uncles you never met, meet new, new cousins. <laughs> yeah, in my case, I was actually, I didn't even go anywhere. I stayed in my house. I welcome guests all the time. You know? The people that you grew up with acted different when you came back from America? Did they put a barrier between you and them? No, actually, we we were we were close enough to not see that, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I, I I saw the difference, right? I, I saw the difference in big ways, yeah, especially the ones I my my fellow uh, professors. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we started as as uh, you know students in college, worked for some time at Thais University, and they ended up traveling to India, came back from India. Oh. I, I saw that difference, right, very yeah. clearly in how they thought, how they talked, how mm. they saw things, and. I realized also that, uh, what, it's been seven years at least since 2007, a lot has changed too, right? Younger kids who grew up, oh, yeah. I barely yeah. recognize some of the young kids. Seven and, years. Yeah. Okay. And I realized that I'm, uh, I'm an uncle to so many nephews oh, and yeah. nieces, yeah. right? Yeah. I stopped counting, you know, <laughs> after crazy. 12, so. That's amazing. <laughs> So I wish I spent more time with everyone and I did some quality time, mm -hmm. especially as I visited some of my sisters who were living across the Yemen. But I mean, it was two weeks. It wasn't wasn't enough. I wish I could go back, but the war happened, you know. And uh, do you have any future plans to visit? I mean, right now it's not right. I don't have any. I don't feel secure and safe enough, to yeah. travel back to Yemen. You know, you're no Mona. You're not gonna. Well, Mona has a, has guts, right? She's she's, <laughs> she's got a lot of guts. Yeah, she has. She, she, went, is she went to Yemen with a picture of a expired ID. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about that dream. Uh-huh. She visualized it. <laughs> she visualized real hard, huh? Yeah. I probably, I, I just don't know. Maybe nothing would happen if I travel, but it's just, yeah. I want it, to take it. It is a risk for sure. Yeah, I'm a father of two girls yeah. and I have Tough. I'm a Never husband. Know. A lot and, to know. Uh, mm. what, what do you think is, as you'll be a good guy to ask this question, because, you know, uh, Yemen is, uh, there's a lot going on, right? Yeah. Proxy war, you would say, right? Yeah. What, what war do you within think, a war. What war do you think is... It's it's almost hard to predict what what the future is, right? Yeah, it's not just a proxy war. There is an actual war happening, right? It's like a war within so, a war yeah. context, right? I mean, it's a civil war backed by a regional war in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, prediction, uh, it's hard to predict anything, right? Yeah, right? You can always be pessimistic, and you'll be right. 
if mm. your pessimism because optimism will be good. Op- optimism drives people in the ground that well, people live because they're optimistic, right? Yeah. They get, they're married, they live their lives, they have the dream, they have ambitions. But in terms of thinking of the future, right? What would the future look like? Pessimism usually runs supreme when it comes to Yemeni politics because the worst seems to be happening mm-hmm. to, the, to this country. Only you know, because I think I often mistrust, think about yeah. Somalia as a country. Mm-hmm. I think growing up, you know, I've heard, you know, not a lot of positive things coming out of there. And I've mm-hmm. seen like, you know, people from there would like swim to Yemen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. They would come in uh, many numbers to to uh, seek refuge in Yemen, right? True. But now it's like the opposite. Now yeah. Yemenis are going to Somalia. Yes. And I remember like, I remember when I was in Ethiopia, they were just talking about how they didn't have a president at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I look at that and I was like, maybe that somehow, because mm-hmm. I, I feel like Somalia is, is, is a lot more stable for sure than Yemen. Somehow yeah, but they can, have their still, yeah. I mean, there's still moments of insecurities everywhere, I guess. For sure. But Somaliland, for example, in Somalia is in a much better shape. Much yeah. like healthy controlled territories in Yemen. Yeah. It's not recognized internationally. The currency is not doesn't have much hold much value though in Somaliland. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of security and development. And yeah. So we're, we're we're pretty much maybe already in a Somali like situation. Yeah. The only thing makes that makes a Yemeni case worse is that we're, we we have yet to see the bottom in a way, right? Mm-hmm. In Somalia, Somalia, at least we we saw the end of an of I mean, what the society is heading into. In Yemen, we are not even sure where we're heading into. Right? As yeah. Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Iran, continue to intervene, we continue to see new forces shape, new in the ground, right? That make predictions even harder. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, there's a, a, a prospect of peace in, in in the country. I hope so. Yeah, I think the people want it. Definitely, yeah. everybody wants peace. And sometimes they are unified by moments like last week, the winning, you know, of the sports. Oh, the soccer. Yeah, the yeah, soccer. Yeah, that was yeah, a big, big, big unifying moment. moment, moment terrifying yeah. everybody in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but you see everybody in the South and the North somehow mm-hmm. unified around that. Over which, a moment gives of you glory. a sense there's always unifying people are people. sentiment. Yeah. Absolutely. Mom, do you have any more questions for Wally? Um, we can get back to the personal I want, questions. I, I just want to remind you when you were, everybody knows uh, Oleg in Minnesota because of, uh, he established the Yemen American uh, society. society. Of Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, yeah you established yeah. a group called the Yemeni American uh, Society. Yeah, this was back in 2010, I think, yeah. When we decided to, I mean, myself and others in the community, Yemeni American community in Minnesota, we decided to do, you know, create an organization, a nonprofit organization, basically. Oh, wow, nonprofit. Yeah. Did you guys get like 501c? Yes, we, wow. we even got that status and uh, we made it non political, non religious. Mm-hmm. We hope, with the hope that we stay away from the dividing factors. You know? Yeah, everybody was happy with that. See, that's the thing. With no, the war, the community sad. split, right? After 2000. Oh, wow. So this is pre-war. Yes, and this was pre-war. Post-war, effort. the community split on political yes, things. Yes, and and the, and the divisions run deep in, in uh, amongst people. I passed the leadership to others, but somehow it didn't end up working, mm. in part because of the divisions in the community. And that's kind of like the harsh uh, thing about sometimes Yemen, right? Yeah. You can't even get the nonprofit going. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing about Yemen, there are so many nonprofit organizations working actually yeah, in yeah, the yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah. But to what extent are they succeeding in 
doing big things. That's that, a challenge. You know, right? that's a good you know? um, thing to remind us of a positive. Like, say, some listeners, they want to do something positive for Yemen. It's not all, you know, uh, hopeless. Uh, yeah. There's ways you can help out. Do you recommend, uh, I know Pure Hands is a great um, there's organization. Pure, biggest organizations in terms of humanitarian support is Pure Hands and Yemen Aid. You know, Yemen these Aid. are the biggest. Mm-hmm. Biggest ones. You Yemeni-led organizations. And I think it's purehands.org, I want to say, is the website. Um, yeah, or just look at poor hands. Pure hands. Pure hands. Yeah. Based in Dallas and Yemen Aid is based in New York. Yeah. Please, if you want to do help, um, that would be a great way to do so. Yeah. Um, uh, let's ask this question. So, sorry, you're saying? Mom? Yeah, he has, you know, did you finish the questions about his book? The book? Yeah. Uh, he has a second book too, right? Oh, you're working on a second book? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm right now actually I'm working on two book projects. One in which uh, one that I that I'm authoring, and the other one I'm co-authoring with another colleague of mine. So one so, is like um, another thesis, or yeah, yes, different topic, different argument, different. Uh, but it still speaks to my broader interest in U.S. Arab cultural politics. Mm-hmm. So the first book uh, looks at the Yemeni America. I call it the tentative title is basically from from drones to travel bans. Yemeni and Yemeni-American Visual Narratives of America. Mm. So it looks at uh, simultaneously the uh, how America since 2001, since 9-11, has destroyed Yemen, violated Yemeni lives. Really? This uh, policed Yemeni-American communities, confined Yemenis and Yemeni-Americans to the broader war and terror uh, you know, uh, politics. Give me an example of policing. From from drones, policed. from the drones. Uh, oh, the policing. Uh, well, I mean, the range is is big, right? When it comes to uh, okay. violating so Yemeni American drones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, well, so let's say, for example, when, I mean, the first thing, the first thing you, the first thing that you see when you, when you hear of America uh, in relation to Yemen, for example, following nine eleven, is uh, the drone program that was developed. Uh, and embraced heavily by the Obama administration as the best way to fight terrorism, right? The only thing in case of Yemen that it has consistently gone wrong in many ways and led to the deaths of many innocent people. Civilian, yes, innocent people, basically, yeah. right? So Yemen was pop, kind of like the experimental grounds for the drone Actually, program? Actually, it, it was the first country where it was bombed the, in, in a non-declared war zone, right? As, wow. far, as early as 2002. Wow. You see Yemeni... And Yemeni Americans being killed in Yemen, right? And and that's not just uh, you know uh, the story of uh, the, the only violence that happened uh, mm-hmm. to Yemeni Americans. You see, you see the same story happening over and over for the for two at least two two decades, uh, the past two decades. You know, from uh, let's say the confiscation of American Yemeni American uh, U.S. passports in the American embassy in Yemen to the lack of response to uh, rescue Yemeni Americans uh, in Yemen after, in the aftermath of the war mm. in 2015. And what happened in between, basically, uh, years of FBI-led uh, sting operations in Yemeni American communities mm. in Michigan, New York, California, where so many Yemeni American youth have been somehow misled uh, not supported by their own government, uh, have been uh, uh, racially profiled, have been infiltrated, have been led to to con- 
through schemes that somehow uh, ended up uh, throwing them in jail for years and years. And, and, and basically, if, as, as you look at it, you know, there's somehow <clears throat> a, a very interesting story to tell here of how much the U.S., the United States, that is, has violated, you know, the lives of Yemenis and Yemeni Americans in the name of the war uh, on terror, on terror, right? Yeah. But I'm I'm not stopping there in the book, right? I'm I'm, I'm showcasing. I'm talking about these viol- violations, um, but I'm also talking about what have Yemeni and Yemeni American visual artists have done in response? Mm. What's the aesthetics of their responses? How have how have, for example, political cartoonists, filmmakers, artists? Uh, street artists, for example, how have they uh, responded? What's the aesthetics of their response? How they have seen America? How they have shown their their critiques of these violations, in a sense, right? How is their how their is their agency shaped somehow through their art, right? Mm-hmm. So, can, I'm, I'm, can you give me an example of that? Oh, so, if you, if you look at, for example, street art campaigns in Yemen mm-hmm. that uh, drew. Uh, the theme of drones. Uh, you see a very interesting murals in the street. Look, in Yemen? Yes, in Yemen, depicting their sentiment about uh, the drone program. Mm-hmm. In one of the prominent prominent mural, uh, there's a, ch- a story, uh, like uh, an image of a child uh, riding in her blood, uh, in Arabic, in English, why did you kill my family? And somehow if you look at that, and there's a, a drone program, a drone uh, uh, flying over the, her head, right? And if you look, if you were to compare that with Americans most asked questions following 9-11, why did they hate us? Mm-hmm. You somehow see a response mm-hmm. from Yemen coming, and that is less invested in answering the why did they hate us question that Americans asked in a way that panders yeah. to America, as much as also raising another question and saying, uh, what is the excuse for killing a family like mine? Mm. Right? That is somehow That's not deep. Ter- right. So, so I'm examining the like what goes into these portrayals. The cartoonists, for example, you know, political cartoonists. What can how they draw America? How they visualize America in their in their drawings? Mm. Filmmakers, how do they capture America and their American in Yemeni and Yemeni American experiences in their narratives? Right. So that's basically the second book. That's great. How far are you guys in? Uh, I'm I'm almost halfway through, which is hopefully wow to be able to accomplish in the next two years. And what's the other project? The other one is is a bit more personal. <laughs> not personal. Uh, it's actually it's, a, it's slightly different, but it still speaks to my uh, interest in U.S. Arab cultural politics. So um, the prime, the broader, uh, really uh, f- frame of this book is we, we're trying uh, with my uh, friend uh, Nathaniel Greenberg, who is a professor at the George Mason University. We're both are trying to look at the, the kind of partnerships that the U.S. government has forged or created with uh, Arab regimes. You know, Saudi Arabia, oh, wow. Morocco, United Arab Emirates. You might go missing after this. <laughs> This is a scary part, right? Uh-huh. Uh, not only with regimes, but also with with producers, entertainment producers, media yeah, producers, filmmakers. The government has uh, there. There is a lot of money circulating from uh, the government. F- sometimes directly from the U.S. government. Sometimes give me an example of a project. Well, the the entire media. Uh, if if you if you were to look at the very early days of nine eleven, following nine eleven. Uh, America has founded something called Al-Hurra following the invasion of Iraq, for example. Uh, 
and uh, Radio Sawa. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh-huh. But it started as very specific, one radio channel, one television channel. Oh, we're talking channel, about in right? the Middle East, not in America. No, in the Middle East. I'm talking about yeah. okay. media funded and supported by the United States. States. And sometimes oh, at yeah. some point by U.S. Uh, partners in the uh-huh. Arab world. Yeah. Primarily produced in Arabic language. Wow! And uh, the idea, the purpose of this is to sell 9/11 mm-hmm. to Muslims, to win the hearts and minds of Muslims. Uh, so basically, selling an American version of things uh, of the war on terror mm-hmm. to Muslims, so that basically they could see, um, you know, uh, the American perspective somehow. Um, not only see it, but but embrace it and believe it. You know. Mm-hmm. So basically, we look at that and how media, for example, has grown has grown from a radio sawa and horror television to a conglomerate or like a media empire, basically. Wow. That is now budget is a hundred million dollars. You know, that's amazing, that budget, and it still right? continues. It still continues, and I, 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 in addition to that, we also see how think tanks in the Middle East, in the Arab world specifically, create this America, pro-American narrative of, of events, mm. right? And uh, interestingly, and th- that's the thing I'm also adding to, to, to the book, is uh, we're looking at, uh, it's a recent article that I wrote, basically, that looks at the relationship between the Pentagon, the, the Hollywood, and Morocco, Morocco as a government, introducing uh, Hollywood f- films wow. that sell the war and terror narrative in a very Americanized way, right? Hmm. Most of, much of the time dehumanizes Muslims in the fil- in these films and um, primarily tell an American uh, military-friendly story, right? And uh, I'm, 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 so we're interested in basically looking at not only these films, these media outlets, these television works, these you know, but also looking at the partnerships that are being created, right? Um, to sell the the idea of the war, and hopefully, you know, it'll probably take a few years to finish that. Wow, well, yeah, it's a big, that's the next a huge project, project. I guess, right? <laughs> it's amazing. Thanks for uh, for the good work, man. You're yeah, doing the work you. no one wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, yes. I do want to tell the listeners the reason we kind of skipped a couple uh, weeks. Is because um, uh, my sister um, got COVID, and then my mother got COVID as well. Mom, you want to tell us about your experience <laughs> with the COVID? Uh, when did you have it? Like, like a week, ten days ago? Ten days ago, just one day. For one day, it was so 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 sick. My muscles hurt. Uh, just one day and one night. Okay, I got really bad pain. Muscle aches. Muscle ache, yeah. That, um, headache. Headache, yeah. Sleepless nights. Yeah. <laughs> and next day I was fine. Wow. So I, I double dose of uh, vitamin C, vitamin D. Vitamin. I mean, yeah. So mm. so you, you took your vitamins. Mm. We're not quite, I mean, and, and it's not 100% correlation, but uh, your body took one day to fight it. Probably most likely because, because you're vaccinated. Mm. Um, so... Now you're good, and that's kind of why we had to take time off. Is you know we wanted to give you guys some time <laughs> to not uh, be infectious and give me COVID. <laughs> that was the main thing. So uh, thank you guys for um, uh, uh, your patience. Um, I think going forward, we will probably put up an episode every two weeks. How does that sound? Mm. Right, mm-hmm. every two weeks, and uh, this is going to be the final um, 
part with Mr. Walid Mahdi. Thank you so much for being here. Um, because you're probably going to be gone by the next week. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. I'll you travel back to... on Saturday. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for all the information and giving us insight to your life. Um, do you have anything you want to say to the listeners before um, we conclude the episode? Uh, no, thank you so much. I mean, I just want to say basically um, thank you all for tuning in and for following this exciting podcast. Where can they find you? Me? Uh, well, I have my own website, waleedmahdi.com. And they can purchase a book from there if they're interested? Yes, they have all my information there. Amazing. They can also be in touch with me. I have an email there as well. So. Sweet. Thank you so much for uh, being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Walid. All right. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night.